Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Claire Nightingale, owner and principal orthodontist at Queensgate Orthodontics. Queensgate Orthodontics is an award-winning private clinic located in the heart of South Kensington. Claire, hello. Good afternoon, Matthew. Thank you for coming on the show today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Um, Well, I think leadership as such is about having a clear vision about the present and the future of my business um, constructed around an appropriate value system that I can communicate to my team and inspire them to share my values and my purpose. And how would you characterize your personal leadership style? Well, I'm very collaborative. Um, I like to share my thoughts and expectations with the people that not only work within my business, but are also the customers within my business and supporters and suppliers of my business. Um, And I like to share their feedback and knowledge of our industry uh, so that we can create a business that is profitable and benefits everybody. So although I'm trying to avoid jargon like stakeholders, stakeholders, the reality is it's not just my team that I lead. I also lead the patients and their families that uh, access care within me, within my structure, and also the wider dental community who support me by sending me their patients. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, I would imagine at some point early on in your career, there was an individual who uh, helped mold you to be the leader that you are today. Let's speak a bit about that. Well, I think that I've had the benefit of having lots of mentors. I I don't think there's an individual as such, but even if we went back to primary school days and secondary school days, there would be a biology teacher, for example, who would have taken me aside and nurtured uh, my development. And then as I decided that I'd become a dentist and then an orthodontist, I've had the privilege of working amongst some spectacularly inspirational clinicians, all of whom I will have picked up something along the way that has moulded me to be both the leader and the clinician that I am today. So I I would say that I served a very long apprenticeship uh, before I had the opportunity to own my own business. Uh, And that apprenticeship actually has been massively beneficial for me. Uh, But I couldn't pinpoint just one individual. It's been a whole team approach to developing Mm. me as a person. Now, of course, in your ongoing life, you are a leader and you must uh, mentor some people within your organization. Uh, do you have a, a, a in-place mentorship scheme or is it just taking someone under your wing as things go on? Well, I love to take every opportunity to teach and train as we go along. And, and nothing gives me greater pleasure, actually, than seeing somebody acquire a skill set that they didn't have before they met me Mm -hmm. and then becoming reflective on their own performance. Um, So, I mean, we do have, within my business, we have regular practice meetings and appraisal sessions. And of course, I do build in training afternoons. But at the same time, every single day is an opportunity to train and enhance everybody's individual skill sets. And that's something that gives me great, great pleasure. 
And of course, uh, you are in a highly technical field. Uh, you're you're not in a a, a subjective business, uh, and keeping your uh, technique sharp and being able to uh, pass this on within your practice uh, must be paramount. Um, what is done to ensure uh, continuing education of your staff? Well, as part of our registration with the General Dental Council, we all have a commitment to a certain amount of uh, verifiable hours uh, CPD, continuing professional development per year. Um, however, you know, in, in addition to that, so I, I will discuss with my staff what their training needs are and I will support them in finding courses or means of providing that training within the practice. Of course, although orthodontics is a relatively slow-moving specialism compared to, for example, the world of medicine, nevertheless, there have been massively innovative techniques occurring in orthodontics since I qualified as a specialist 20-odd years ago. Uh, And I want to embrace those and encourage my staff to embrace them. So I do go out of my way to look to see how where technology is leading us and how we can skill up for the future. Fantastic. And of course, your staff, they, they are made up of people and people have their bad days and they become ill and have issues with each other and issues at home. How do you deal with those interpersonal issues and challenges within the workplace? Well, First of all, I suppose I deal with them empathetically. And at the moment, I'm actually carrying one extra member of staff surplus to my basic needs in order to manage these occasions when people are left in Canada, for example, because all of a sudden there's a storm and then plane can't land at Heathrow or they become sick, that sort of thing. Um, but I think what's very important is from the outset to have a contract that spells quite clearly what the terms and conditions of somebody's uh, working environment is supplemented by a clear job description so everybody knows what their expectations are and then you stick to the contract. So I think that's the key is starting out with the right relationship with people so it's clear what one's expectations of them are, what their obligations to the business are and reciprocal relationships and then deal with any hiccups in an empathetic fashion. It seems that clear communication and uh, a solid framework uh, that is compassionate is the key. So you're broken, broke up a little there. But, uh, it, seem, um, it seems yeah. that your framework of compassionate but solid uh, uh, policies uh, and, yes, commu- exactly. and strengthening communication is key uh, in being able so. to keep a happy workforce. Um, yes, Absolutely. Now, uh, just going back to the subject of leadership uh, specifically, if I asked you to objectively identify uh, the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? This is a very tricky question because, <laughs> of course, you know, I've not, you know, we've not had personal involvement with the greatest leaders in history. We can only make judgments by their portrayal in the media, which, as we know, can change. And, of course, the passage of time it makes us reflect very differently on a leader. However, I think that I would have to say that, you know, in terms of business today, I think we have people like James Dyson and Richard Branson, who are very inspirational leaders. And then our historical figures, I think for me, it would have to be uh, the combination of Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, Winston Churchill, uh, although I'm no historian, but it strikes me that what the three historical figures have in common is that their finest achievements came when they approached leadership in the spirit of collaboration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So, of course, working uh, easily with others is essential uh, for good leadership. I think so. And I I think if I reflect upon the political leaders of our modern time, I think what upsets me about political leadership that we observed has been that there has been adversarial issues rather than collaborative approach to leading. Uh, And I think that that's where things fall apart. So I'm greatly in favour of collaborative leadership. Now, unfortunately, (laughs) now, unfortunately, our time together is very quickly drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Queensgate Orthodontics? Ah, that's a very interesting question. Well, I think where we are heading is, well, clearly we have political uncertainty and the the economic consequences of Brexit. But if I put that to one side, what I'm doing is embracing the technological change that is happening within orthodontics. So I foresee a future where uh, people will have spend less time actually in the dental chair and they will be receiving more care on a remote basis but monitored using technology. So I'm embracing uh, treatments using clear aligners as opposed to fixed braces and I've just started trialling something called remote dental monitoring so that patients use technology to scan their own teeth and we communicate with them on a more frequent basis but on a remote basis. So we'll see how that works out. But I, so Queensgate Orthodontics is embracing change and looking to engage with developments in modern orthodontics. Well, I'd love to have you back on the program at some point in the near future so we can go into that uh, subject uh, in specificity. Um, Claire, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for the invitation, Matthew. That was Claire Nightingale, owner and principal orthodontist of Queensgate Orthodontics. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett. Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of Leadership, it would be a remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure you're delighted that a certain someone is leaving a post. What are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she could reach out to people that others can't. So... I'm, I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from uh, four uh, candidates a little further left um, than them, who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes, I think it's really unfortunate uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large 
swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, I, we, we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before. Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher home secretaries because the people that I cared about most were on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a, a single nation just off the coast of Europe, and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in, but how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world? Th those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, an ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, and and climate change, which we all know, is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us. No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies, certainly. And sp speaking of your time... Uh, as Home Section in government. Um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean, I, it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children. By inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a, a window on the world, which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have 
entrepreneurship and creativity and in business you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves small businesses have done that the contribution to uh, new ways of doing things of thinking differently about our economy Th those are all grit to the mill those are the things we need to do and we can do them together it's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services we, we are mm. dependent on each other uh, you can't have one without the other yes. um and i think to coin a term uh, uh extraordinary ordinary people and especially when it comes to given your answer david to uh teachers to carers people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day -day basis and without them half of society wouldn't function completely I, I call it civil society which functions even when government isn't functioning it's what it's the glue that holds things together it's people working and living and having their being together and recognizing that they are dependent on each other I, i've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein i was very fortunate to have met nelson mandela three times uh i met bill clinton a number of times both of whom in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in the, his conference speech the year before he stood down as Prime Minister, and I, I knew exactly what he meant, he said the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions. And anyone in a leadership role needs to, A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the uh, authority mm. that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh, and I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them. Yes, it is. And if people recognise that, and they have a clear idea themselves. They, they have, and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities. They know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper, and I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. How, how to control your own feelings and emotion and how to bring the best out in other people's, how, how you work out that, People who are really good don't threaten you. They compliment you. People who have complementary skills to you are really valuable. And I suppose the ability to listen, not just for its own sake, mm -hmm. but to listen because you are conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarizing, thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talk to the fans after the game. Well, everyone <laughs> knows, uh, David, you know, you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after no, week. No, it isn't, although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment That's very good about Sheffield United in the Premier League because it, it, it does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City, then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world. So that's good. I, I, I could cry sometimes. We can, 
we can beat uh, Brighton, Premier League side in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them 2-0 in January. And then you can lose 5-0. And then you lose 5-0 at home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by by half time. What what would a manager blanket say in the situation? I, I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field... They walked instead of ran. They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously? And if you could answer that question, and there may have something may have happened. Who knows? Something during the morning before the game started. Something may have gone sour. You get the answer to that question, and you then start to ensure that we never, never do this again. Yeah, well, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute. Um, <laughs> but I would like to pick up on another point you just made, actually, David, about choosing a strong team, people that compliment you. A lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick, perhaps, the more ambitious, the more... Uh, 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 People, uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her. One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which, as we record this podcast, has not yet happened. Mm. And I imagine, I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle not just to get people in who he likes, but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world. You can pronounce on what you're going to do, but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it, if they're just toadies, by the way, and there is a tendency, a new mm-hmm. prime minister, large majority, got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them. But get able people in. I, w- I won't comment on some of the less able, but there are <laughs> clearly in the cabinet as I speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally, anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If... Part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief, that you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa for Mm. an easy morning television program, get out of the business. You know, don't don't do it. Without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, that's, and also, I should add, that is how uh, all Stripes earn that respect in the first place. But there is a question, isn't I'm there? I'm trying to answer the questions. That's, that's <laughs> what I always tried to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them. Either way. Um, oh, well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why. Yeah, quite. Uh, <laughs> the, um, and I think one of the great things about uh, the Lise Castle especially is that um, it takes and talks to people again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. 
There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether as leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a, an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities, or you're driving a business that actually says, this is why I get up in the morning. So you've got to have something internal to yourself. The, the second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better. You, you can take pride without being egotistical. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better. And that's why you need both sharp minds around you in my case it was special advisors as as well as ministers I pretty well picked my ministers sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about and we had to meld people into the team I was able to pick all my own special advisors and that really did make a difference Mm. but in in the end you've got to like what you're doing I mean the 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 people who are unhappy in their skin that they they it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics, you, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us it turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center mm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a readover in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognize, which is why... Being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> because otherwise you blow with the wind, that, that, that's the, the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, the very uh, in a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? Uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January. And where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020... Keir Starmer has clearly got a got off to a very very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the 
Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019. Uh, and that, that's got to be Lisa Nandi or, or Kia. On, on the, um, the, the next few months... I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I, I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my family and loved ones, is football and and politics? I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off. But I am really reluctant. And I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blunkett, thank you very much for joining us today. God bless you, Jonathan. (laughs) This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland its parent company, or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.